Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to this place, uh, for the mission and ministry that you've given us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and uh, dwell in our midst in this time, that our eyes might be open to what you are doing, uh, that indeed we might see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we have with us Santosh Murray, who is the assisting bishop of Alabama. And uh, we're not going to talk about what that means. You can go online and look it up. Uh, but uh, it does mean that he's with us today. And we have, where's Ermini? Ermini. Okay. All right, well, uh, while uh, we're, we're trying to find uh, Ermini, uh, uh, you can't blame her. I mean, the Virgin Islands, that's a tough companion relationship to have, uh, the Diocese of the Virgin Islands. But tell us, Bishop, what, what does it mean to have a companion relationship with a diocese and why the Virgin Islands? Uh, companion relationship arrangement was previously called... Th- thank you, Dean, Dean Pearson. Thank you, and it's great, always great to be with you all here at the cathedral. We're next-door neighbors, and we kind of bump into each other more than any other church in the, in the diocese. And we have a remarkable relationship. I see relationship. what you eat for lunch. Yeah, and I see also where you go. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, um, we have a very remarkable relationship, uh, Cathedral and the office. And thank you for all your support to the diocese. It means a lot, and a lot of what you do in collaboration with, with the diocese spreads across the diocese and beyond in manifesting good works for Jesus, right? Yeah, um, partners, uh, companion relationship is an offshoot of what the Anglican communion called partners in mission. And it meant that where a diocese could choose to collaborate with another diocese, uh, either domestically or globally, and often t- or regionally, as in the DR and Haiti and, and, and Costa Rica, and even in continentally, some of our people go to, um, to, um, to South America and Africa and so forth. But the idea behind it is so that our churches are 165 in 165 countries where the Anglican Communion is inhabiting at this time and beyond, and 80 million um, folks. We can really connect with each other on a missional level, where we, I mean, sometimes we may differ in our doctrine, our theology, but one thing we have a common love for, and that is the mission of God. And so we collaborate. Sometimes a strong diocese like ours or healthy may collaborate with a weak one, as might be Haiti or, or uh, Virgin Islands, to do God's work. And so together we can really show the true nature of that they may be one, as I and the Father are one. That's the kind of idea behind it. Virgin Islands, because um, the Virgin Islands is one of our domestic dioceses. What domestic means, um, you know, where we are all in the contiguous United States of America. However, it's one of our rather weak dioceses in every year. Weak in terms of not only numbers, but resources, clergy, uh, and so forth. And um, we had uh, decided that we were going to do some discernment, and several dioceses were thrown into the mix, and we... Um, tried to get in touch with Mexico, they never responded. We tried to get in touch with Africa, they didn't respond. We tried to get in touch with, um, with um, uh, some other places down, down in, in South America. They, they, it's difficult sometimes. And then we threw in, in the mixed Virgin Islands. Because I met, I spoke to the bishop 
um, many, many years ago in the House of Bishop, and he was sharing with me the struggles of his diocese. And really, it could die any time. I mean, it's, it's at that place where it is just... And so I figure, well, I threw that one in the mix. And some of the other, they lifted it out after they've explored the others and they weren't responsive. Figure out we will go with Virgin Island and see how best we can collaborate and how the resources of Alabama could be shared with the resources of the Virgin Islands and help to strengthen the weaker brother. Because that's gospel, to strengthen the weaker brother. And hopefully... By the time our relationship is concluded, it's a stronger diocese, and we are a better people in that we have learned that not everywhere is like Alabama. <laughs> and we learn from them as well. So that's kind of where it all came from. Is Ermina here? Is she? Okay, well, she's, uh, yeah. she's wisely run off. Um, but, um, uh, well, t you know, you, you mentioned that the Diocese of the Virgin Islands is weak. Um, you know, one of the statistics the bishop told me was that Financially, they're in worse shape than the Diocese of Haiti. They actually have less resources at their disposal than even Haiti. Uh, but what, what makes, what are their big impediments? What are their obstacles? Why are they struggling? One, um, clergy leadership. Most of their clergy, they only have eight clergy in the diocese, and they all came to, the, to our um, diocese and clergy and spouses conference a few days ago, Wednesday to Friday. They were here for that. Bishop Key invited them. Only eight of them on three, four, five islands. So many of the church churches are going without clergy. Um, two full-time clergy, the bishop is the full-time and the rector of St. Andrews is full-time. All the rest, priest in charge, part-time. So that's one uh, area of clergy weakness, clergy leadership, clergy training. I think young people also are not, you know, getting much um, interaction with other young people, and so programs are not, uh, the programs for young people are very weak or non-existent. Also, um, financially, as, as Dean Pearson said, they're very weak because they're one of those dioceses that the Episcopal Church supports, and the Episcopal Church has been cutting their, their, their subventions very often. Um, that and also what one might say is that the, um, the threat of, um, of the Seventh-day Adventists are the big, big numbers up there. And they're kind of taken over the country and, so, and weakened all the other de denominations. But, um, and so I think evangelism is not healthy simply because if you don't have full-time clergy, and you're only able to have a supply clergy on Sunday, you know what supply clergy do. They just turn up and do the service and go back home. Nothing is happening in the parish. No outreach, no mission work, no partnershiping. And so when a diocese is not engaged in the community in a meaningful way, you know what will happen. It will just die slowly. So I think every area of ministry is affected by it, really. You mentioned Alabama being a healthy diocese. What are the marks of a healthy diocese? What do you see in Alabama that, that would qualify as, as, oh, never mind, before we do that, Ermini. Yes. Hello, come up here, please. <clears throat> okay. All right. Ermini, tell us a little bit about your ministry on St. Thomas and the Virgin Islands. Hi. <clears throat> I'm new to the cathedral. I've joined the cathedral in January. Presently, I preach, I do outreach ministry, 
I do just about everything a preacher does. When the Baron William is not there, I take over, as he put it. So I'm enjoying it. But we have a lot of challenges. We need some help, resources. Our congregation is aging. And we need to spice up our music and all that I'm trying to work on. <laughs> I'm trying to make a cathedral, the place that all visitors, when they come to St. Thomas, can be proud to um, visit. What are, can you articulate what are some of the challenges specifically that you deal with in, in your ministry? Um, we're, we're short of clergies, right, to begin with. And I am not. I am from the, let me tell you, I'm from the UK Virgin Islands. There are two Virgin Islands. I'm from the British side. So I've just joined the United States side. So I'm learning now how they do things in the United States because in the British is totally different. And being a female again, that's a challenge for me. And right now, the, the congregation wants us to pep up the music, and we're still using a 1982 hymn book. And because we're from the Caribbean, and we're, we're into the, you know, the nice music that makes you shake, <laughs> that's what they, they really want to do. And we're having um, the challenge where we do not have a director of music. So that is one of the biggest challenges we have right now. Well, we're praying for you, and uh, so delighted that you're here. And uh, are you going to be with us at eleven o'clock too? Um, whatever the bishop says. Where is okay. the bishop? <laughs> whatever the bishop says. Right there. I know. I know he's there. I mean, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, well, let's uh, be sure to be praying for our partnership with the U.S. Uh, the U.S. and the British Virgin Islands. It's one diocese, even though it uh, has two political entities. And, uh, and especially for the cathedral there in St. Thomas, which, which we will do. So, Bishop, you, you, we talked a little bit about the struggles of, of yeah. the, the Virgin Islands Diocese, but uh, you had mentioned that partnering a healthy diocese with a struggling diocese, what are some of the things you see in Alabama that would qualify it as a healthy diocese? I, I am convinced that we have some of the most well-informed, well-developed, lay people in the Episcopal Church and beyond. Alabama does. Mm -hmm. We have some of the really, uh, the caliber of our lay leadership is remarkable. And that's what for me, forget about we goofers who wear this thing and think <laughs> we're important. You are the ones God is counting on and I'm depending on to boast about this diocese. And we, I've gone around the diocese and I think if I have to point out one remarkable quality that distinguishes us as a healthy diocese, it is our, the strength of our lay people. Mm -hmm. And of course, the caliber. We'll chip in the priests and things. The caliber of our people. And also, um, when a Bishop Key was on sabbatical for, for four months, people, what I recognized, and people asked me, how are you doing? Um, and it was very nice to have them inquire, well, are you doing all right? And so I said that it's easy that we have, our diocese is the very disciplined diocese. And they say, what do you mean by that? I said, our people know and our clergy know what they have to do and they get about doing it. And I just come off of the way 
and let them do it. That's, that, that's really a, how I can sum it up. Yeah, I mean, we're not without our struggles. Yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, we've lost a lot of members. By Episcopal standards, we would be considered healthy, but there's been uh, a dramatic loss and then a sort of slow, steady trickle. And one of the areas that, that we do struggle with is rural ministry, rural parishes. Um, a lot of that people moving out of those places into the city, uh, but it's really hard ministry to do. You're absolutely correct, and um, one of the neat things I get to do in the diocese is to work with our rural churches. Um, primarily, they are what we may term small parishes um, that defined by, say, an ASC of, say, about 75 and below on a Sunday. I mean, would would be categorized as a small church. You don't have to worry about that here. Um, and uh, what happens to them is that people are not going in. There's, an, there's no influx in. There's an outflux, if that's a word. No, people, the attrition is, attrition is out because folks are going to find work for, um, and also employment for the, 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 their family. Children are going out to universities, and they're never returning because there's nothing there in the rural communities for them to do, and understandably so. And so if nobody's coming in, then gradually you'll know what's happened. The church will never grow because the church is peopled by the local community. And so it's not necessarily a lack of ministry. It's really, it's a people problem and the problem of migration out of, of, of the parishes. I think that, that's, that's, that's the main one because I can assure you that we have some very, very faithful um, lay people, um, particularly lay people and also faithful clergy who are doing their very best to, to fly the flag of Jesus Christ and the Episcopal Church in those communities. I would recommend to you that on, sometimes when you go down or drive down, thumb down, have to be somewhere where in the rural area where there might be an Episcopal Church, drop in and show your face and you will have an idea of really what I'm talking about. You will see how hospitable they are and, and how wonderful they are. They will make you proud. And sometimes they might put you to shame as well how much they're committed to their church in their little way. So energy, commitment, there's no lacking of that. It is just the people power, the presence of people, really. Nobody can do anything about that. Now, what, what do you say to the church? And I know that you've run into this because I run into it, of churches that say, well, we want to grow, but what they really mean is they want to grow with people just like them. Yeah. Uh, they want to make Episcopalians, not disciples. You're absolutely correct. And, and I, I made up with that as well. And when they tell me that, I kind of, in a very a way of being just, really say, you know, if you have 10 people in your church, mm, you're happy. And um, you're not taking care of them. You're not feeding them, you're not caring for them, you're not teaching them what it is to have a hospitable uh, mind, the hospitality of welcoming others. Um, well, tell me why God should send you an 11th member if you can't take care of the 10. And they ask, what do you mean by that? They'll say, taking care of the 10 means that you are educating them, you are telling them how important it is to be open and welcoming when you see someone coming into a church, a new person, uh, go meet them, welcome them. And, and I have said to some of them, we need to designate the pew right up in front that the Episcopalians would like to sit in. 
um, put that newcomer's pew, label it big, so that those who come new and want to be part of the family know that there's a pew waiting for them. Because oftentimes, Episcopalians have designated pews. And don't you dare go sit in that pew, and they'll tap you on the shoulder, you sitting in my chair, or my pew. And, and when people are told that, they kind of turn and go, and this is not a hospitable church. I mean, I can give you one example. I went to one of our churches when I was off on a, during the summer, had no visitation. I went and sat in a pew, and um, I was so uncomfortable the whole service because I was wondering whose sacred space did I invade? You know, I, I had a first-hand knowledge of what I've heard so many times people talk about. I go, went there, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're sitting in my seat. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's a kind of, um, it, I, I've tried to say to them that. And I've also said to them, you know, you must remember that the mission of God is never about numbers. It's about vitality. So there might be 10 of you, but there is a vital church because people are doing things in the community. You're known for being at the church in the corner that has a, a soup kitchen every Wednesday. If you were to move from that corner there and evaporate overnight in the moment of translation, would the community miss you? Yes, they will, because you have been feeding them every week. So you don't have to be numb, because I, have, I, I come from another part of the world where our churches are very rural and small, and people are poor, and there are 10 people. That's a healthy congregation in the parts of the world that I come from, because the communities are small. But what you'll find is that people are small, but they're vital. So I keep drawing reference to that to them. You were with us, uh, I guess, a year or two ago, a couple mm, summers years. ago, um, and we had a good conversation about your, your ministry and, and growing up, your, your family immigrating from India to Guyana, and then you serving in the province of the West Indies, serving a church in Jacksonville, Florida, here in the Episcopal Church, and then being elected the Bishop of the Seychelles uh, over in the province of the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you've, you've been around. Yeah. Um, you've got a lot of mileage on you, Bishop. Uh, but uh, but uh, tell me uh, what, uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting thing because uh, with the British Virgin Islands and the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, which is a diocese of the Episcopal Church, but Ermini, what do your church signs say? Sorry? What do your church signs say? You are a what kind of church? Episcopal or Anglican? Uh, Episcopal, Episcopal, Anglican. So there's a little bit of confusion right now over... Uh, even what it means to be an Anglican. So for some Americans, that's sort of a charged word of, oh, we're not Anglicans, we're Episcopalians. But your experience has been, no, 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 it's one and the same, much okay. like it's lived out with the virtue. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what does it mean to be an Anglican as you've <laughs> observed throughout your travels? I think one, one of the realities of Anglicanism that I love is that we are what is called autonomy in communion. What it means by that is every province or every diocese is governed by its own polity and its own canons and constitution. One province can't tell another one what to do. But yet we live in a rather delicate tension being, being brothers and sisters in that of this large, vast communion. 
but yet we hold true to our own autonomy. We govern ourselves, which means there is no intruder. But so I respect what's what is happening in the province of the uh, Indian Ocean. I respect that here in the province of the USA, the Episcopal Church. But yet we live in this um, this this community, and that we are held together by what is called uh, a bonds of affection, where bonds of affection is there are certain commonalities that we hold to very dearly, like the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Four Instruments of Communion, the um, Primates Meeting, which is another instrument, Lambert Conference of Bishops and Spouses, another one, and the Anglican Consultative Council. The Anglican Consultative Council is the only one that has juridical authority in terms of having the canons and, and formulating policies for the rest of the community. The others are just um, what one may say. We meet and greet and have a wonderful time. Yet our primates are senior bishops, and we hold them daily, and we hold their admonitions daily, we hold their counsels daily. Unlike the curia in Rome, they're not held daily. They have to address very intentionally. We have that kind of bond of affection that we love each other based upon our respect for each other. And our fundamental ethos is governed by what is called continual discernment rather than authoritarian um, rule or, or admonitions. We are held together through that wonderful sense of discernment. So we are always talking with each other and respecting what's happening with each other's place. We disagree with each other vehemently in many areas, as you know well. well. But what, what is neat about it is that over time we get to we get to talk things over. That's what I feel uh, that is so wonderful. Also, I think what's wonderful about us is not only our independence and yet our love for each other is that we have we have some remarkable primates and bishops in the Anglican community. I have the greatest respect for my colleagues in Africa and I've worked with them, those are heroic people. And that's what makes me so proud to be an Anglican, that I can sit in the U.S. here and think about what my brother bishops and late are doing in Sudan uh, and, and, you know, are in Nigeria or in Uganda. I may not agree on certain things, but I'm proud of them because they stand up in defiance of death and persecution and hatred, and malice. Gosh, I want to be part of that community. I love being part of that community. That's for me what really Anglicanism is all about, that I can sit here with you and say, you know something? I'm with that brother in South Sudan where there's a, a threat to Christianity or in the Congo through uh, our brothers and sisters from the extreme Muslim folks there. Mm. I can pray for them here. <clears throat> uh, look what Andrew is wearing there. Why? Andrew probably hasn't gone to that place. But you all are identifying with what's going on with our Syrian brothers and sisters. That's because we are who we are. Mm. Their pain is our hurt. Their cry is our grief. That's what makes Anglicanism what it is. Forget about all the policy and the fighting and, and doctrine. For me, that's what makes me proud to be an Anglican. 
Well, you know, you started getting to it in the, in the second half of your answer mm. because the first half you you basically define Anglicanism mm. as structures, and relationships don't work that way. Mm. Um, if they're if they're governed by a structure, uh, you just try doing that with your spouse and see how it goes. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't work, um, and I, I don't. You know, I want to stick on something. You you mm. kind of threw doctrine away. And yet, if there's not a, a principled comprehensiveness, a broadness, yes, but, but a principled comprehensiveness that pulls us all together in the person and work of Jesus Christ, what does a relationship look like in the Anglican Communion? I, th I, th I want to believe that we do connect doctrinally, even though we may differ in how we read doctrine or understand it. Let's be um, fair about that. I also think that we, our respect for each other is important. Our common life, our common worship is important. Um, our common prayer book is important. Our common love for each other is important. But you and I know <clears throat> that when it comes to doctrine, people are at different scales and different levels and different places. A doctrine is, in, I've, I'm not a scholar, but I, what I've seen recently is that sometimes I think it's a floating phenomenon. People pick up one part of it and emphasize it, another pick up another one, another one pick up another thing. That's why I think, I mean, while it is so important, we cannot build a community of, of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ with that alone. Sometimes that might, might become a hindrance, as important as it is. I'm not saying it isn't important. I think it's remarkably important. But I think we have to counterbalance that with the things like love, and things of common worship, common prayer, common mission. You know, um, the, the, the belief in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the undivided trinity, um, that, that should be the center of what we believe in, in our faith. Uh, and, the, and, our, and our tradition as Anglicans, I, I think those, 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 those things are for me. I mean, we all have our own perception. That's me. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for another bishop. Okay. Well, let's open it up. We've got some time for some questions. And uh, ask the bishop whatever has been burning on your heart uh, for the past couple minutes. Tommy Kitzmiller. Up here, David Tanner. Come this way. Thanks. Yeah, speaking of the um, speaking of the uh, the primates meeting, um, however many months ago, and after the three years, where do you see? Is there a place for that? A, a place like the Advent in the future Episcopal Church? I, of course, Advent is a bona fide member of the Anglican of this Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Alabama. In fact, it's such an important member. Um, I think what, 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 what is interesting in, in the, is that both the primates and the ACE Anglican Conservative Council have both agreed that we need to walk together. And they have tasked the Archbishop of Canterbury to put together a task group, including lay, ordained bishops. You know, uh, uh, you know we are a synodical church in which it is not governed by a curia or, or it is governed by the people. It bubbles up where lay and ordain make the decision, the sitting council. So the Archbishop of Canterbury, in a la, la, recent report I read, has already formulated that group. And I, I, I don't want to predict their work, but I want to say I'm hoping that, that through, through the recognition of the primates' challenge 
and ACC's challenge to work together and the, 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 the comp compilation of this group that I'm suspecting, don't quote me, that this group will probably get to understand what is burning in the Episcopal culture, what is burning in the rest of the communion, and see how they could, we could understand each other and probably come up with a reasonable way forward. Bishop, is this deja vu for you? I mean, you were part of the Anglican Covenant design team. We tried this once yeah, before, yeah. and it didn't work. Yeah. Why didn't it work when we tried to do this just a couple years ago? I'll tell you why it didn't work. Um, it was a remarkable. I, I will never substitute that for anything else. I, I got to meet friends and, and brothers and listen to different points of view. But I think what, why it didn't work is section, the final section, in which it was creating more like a, a kind of a curia kind of thing where um, um, if someone doesn't behave, you kick them out or you admonish them. And our polity has never been like that. We were kicked out of Rome because we misbehave, and thank God we did get kicked out um, because we are what we are today. Andrew wouldn't have been married, and I wouldn't have been married, and I can't imagine living without a wife. I don't know about you, Andrew. I would have kept a wife somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So, so I think, I think, I think that, 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 that we, you will be part of this. You will be part, and I hope, I don't know what the shape of the, the conversation will be, but I hope if you're invited into it, Advent will, t will play a role in it if you're asked to comment on anything. If, I don't know if that's how the shape will take. So let's see what happens with, the, with, the, with what the primates has asked us to do and ACCF concurred on that. Right? What, what, if, uh, what if they say in order for us to move forward, we have to put a moratorium on some of the innovations of the Episcopal Church, which is what the primates have constantly asked for, which mm. the Anglican Covenant called for. Um, and even here in Alabama, are, are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of relationship in the communion. One of the great things, realities that has emerged through this, um, this current reality we're dealing with is this. I don't know how much the Episcopal Church's laity knew about their important, the important role the Anglican communion plays and how important we are to that communion. I think Episcopalians didn't have a clue about our relationship. They heard about it, okay, it's all right. But they didn't know the level of intimacy involved. And this, this recent development has, in a way, sensitized the Episcopalians of the powerful and profound importance of our life in communion with our brothers and sisters. And I strongly believe that whatever comes out, the Episcopal Church is going to be part of that. Because we are I'm so, going to quote you on that. Yeah, I, I strongly suspect okay. I say whatever comes out, it will be. It will be because I think because our presiding bishop has agreed to it. I mean, he said it clearly that he he's committed to working together. So, whatever shape it will take, I don't know, but I think we are at a different place as a church in our knowledge of how the communion operates and our role in that whole grand phenomenon. We are better equipped now than the covenant time. We'll pray for uh, oh, one last question, coffee, and then we're going to pray because the bishop and I have to go to church. Walking, walking together is an important feature, but we, does, our, does the Episcopal Church in the United States understand that it's a two-way street? We have to walk with the rest of the, rest of the Anglican Communion. 
we can't force them to walk only as we want to walk. And quite frankly, at least the statement I saw on the steps of the Oxford of, of, of Canterbury, our, bishop see, our, our presiding bishop seemed not to want to walk with the rest of the communion. I think he acknowledged the communion is important, but yeah. he said he wasn't willing to roll back that which the Episcopal Church has fought to accomplish. Uh, the answer I, I would give is, I am, I'm going to wait, wait with bated breath to see what, the sh what shape the walking together will take. I wouldn't want to prejudge an answer on that one, if you could, if you could bear me out a little bit. Let me close with uh, Rebecca Brown's verse from Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My favorite, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Well, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, this is your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that we would build ourselves upon you, our rock and our redeemer. For the bishop uh, with us today and for Key Sloan, we, we pray that you would use them uh, to proclaim your gospel mightily. Uh, we pray for the Diocese of Alabama. We pray for our Episcopal Church. We pray for our presiding bishop. Uh, Lord, we pray for ourselves, uh, where we are in error that you would correct us, uh, and where we are in truth that you would give us conviction and courage. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.